The following episode of Afternoon Delight is dedicated to the memory of Brenda Howard. Brenda Howard was one of the first openly bisexual queer activists in the queer community. Brenda was notably behind the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. She organised the event. Not many from the queer community may know this, and I encourage you all to go and research. And last, I dedicate this episode to everyone in the bisexual community. Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local Hello everyone, happy Monday Afternoon Delight fans. It's such an interesting week for me this week. As you'll have heard earlier, we are doing bisexuality and bi-visibility in the queer community and I think it is a very, very important discussion that I can't wait to share with all of you. In true nature with the podcast episode, as you'll hear me later discuss, I do not want to make this episode in any way about myself as I do not identify bisexual. However, I am obviously a bisexual ally. Anyone should be. Um, I'm not going to go into too much because this person, um, everyone that's my close kind of friend or circle of people will know who this is. Um, a beacon of light, outspoken, confident, loud. <laughs> it is... My best friend, long-time companion, Alana Watson, Lana Lou. As Troy McClure once said in The Simpsons, um, so it's come to this. This point in the podcast episodes, we have reached maybe the penultimate for the season of season one. Um... I don't think I've got really much I can say to introduce this person because they've got plenty that they can say to introduce themselves. But anyone listening, I think a lot of people might be excited for this episode purely on the fact that this is basically going to be like the after parties we used to host between 2016 to 2020. It is... One of my favourite people in the world, regardless of in the arts and in the industry, it is Alana Watson, Lana Lou. How are you doing? I'm all right, Hen. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> well, do you know what? I literally just phoned you 10 minutes ago telling you good news. Um, so <laughs> this is not really any different from what we were doing. I don't feel like I have to act as professional because um, you've seen me at my worst, quite clearly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm your best. I'm your best. All yeah. <laughs> always, always at the front to cheer me on and always behind the scenes to tell me to get a fucking grip. And that oh. is why you are basically my best pal. Oh. So <laughs> let's, let's get this episode going. This is going to be fun. So could you introduce to everyone on the podcast who doesn't know who you are, if you wouldn't mind? Why don't they? First of all, nah, I'm kidding. So, hi, I am Alana Watson, as said, um, and yeah, my DJ name slash artist alias, whatever you want to call it, um, is Lana Lou. I am 25 years old. I am a bisexual, intersectional feminist who is obsessed with William Shakespeare, raves, 
dance music, dance culture, sci-fi, Doctor Who, Star Wars, all the good things, and I eat a bit too much pasta in my day-to-day life. <laughs> That's me. I absolutely love that, you big old nerd. <laughs> a wee bit, eh? just a wee bit. <laughs> I often have found anyone listening to this, um, anytime I've dated somebody, if they've been a gamer, Lana is the first person to be like, yeah, Jory, so please go out with them. <laughs> mm, please so I can have someone to talk to. <laughs> it's basically just been for your own benefit and not even mine. Um, well, of course. The Leo uh, agenda. How are you going to benefit me, first of all? <laughs> the Leo agenda. That's hilarious. As Madonna would have said herself. Brilliant. Mm. So... Um, so a lot of people have met Lana through me um, just from being at nights we've done together DJing or even it just being at our flat. We used to obviously live together for nearly, we nearly hit the four year mark. That was a shame. I know. We got very close. I think we were at, we moved in together in May 2016. Mm-hmm. So, and it was January 2020, just for the fucking pandemic actually happened that um, we decided to separate and um, we didn't get divorced because neither of us can afford a divorce right now um, as struggling artists and can't climb up the corporate ladder. So um, divorce wasn't really an option, but a separation, um, equal assets. I kept the cats. Yeah. That's about I it. I get visits, though. I get visits. I get to come see Cody and Cleo. Aye, when it's like safe with the tier systems, remember. Aye. <laughs> when I'm dropping off the shopping and I wave at the door like, hiya. That's they totally miss- it. So, um, so Lana, obviously people listening genuinely might just not know this. So, you know, before me and you met at the old Queen Margaret University circa 2013 to 16, where did you, um, you know, what, what's a bit of background story? Where did you grow up and what was your life like before you decided to venture out into Edinburgh? <laughs> venture out. Uh, no, so I grew up, um, I've got family like weirdly all over. So on my dad's side is on Glas- in Glasgow. They're all Glasgow gym. Um, and I spent the first six years of life in Glasgow. So for all my childhood, I was like, I'm from Glasgow. I'm a Glaswegian. No, <laughs> not at all. I actually grew up in Fife. So there you go, the Leo agenda, lying about everything. There you go. Um, no, I grew up in Kirkcaldy in Fife, or KDY, as we like to abbreviate it to. Um, and yeah, it was just typical, like, small village town life really this was like that early 2000s life before the iphone before just the internet before everybody had a computer in their pocket so it was literally the childhood of you would sneak out the house your mum would notice you were gone the street lamps would come on and then in the distance you'd hear your mum being like lana get in the house come on your dinner's out and i'd be like i'm not coming in you can't come and catch me i'm faster than you that's it um so yeah small town life Everything was shut by about 4pm, so it was really boring. Um, And I always kind of had that, oh, well, what am I going to do? I've got nothing to do. Everything's shut. Oh, so my mum was like, right, well, you're good at the drama. Go Mm. to drama classes after school. Go to singing classes after school. Go and do something other than setting fires and loitering about in the street and all this stuff. (laughs) So, um, yeah, for like early childhood, I was in the arts and in kind of drama, singing, dancing. Well, I say dancing, I went to two lessons and then I patched it because I was like, nah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just always been something that stuck. And then obviously by the time high school came about, it was, right, I'm doing the, the drama and I'm doing the music and I'm 
I'm going to be an actress and I'm going to be famous and all of that. And then went to uni, met yourself, um, and then the rest is history, as they say, really. It's just kind of all snowballs for that. Totally. Yeah, do you know what? It's so funny. I remember your mum telling me when I first met her back and I would have, it would have been probably, I think the first time I met your mum was actually when we lived in the Easter Road flat. Properly met her and actually got to know her and chat for an hour about life and exes that we both mutually hated because you and your mum and me are very similar when it comes to that sort of stuff. Honestly, you two would just chat and I'd be like, right, cool, I'm going to go and order pizza. I'll see you in like four hours because I'm going to watch Star Wars while you chat. <laughs> yeah, that is actually it though. Um, and I basically, I remember her telling me, you know, it's quite funny because I think people spend time with me and you. I've noticed this, like close friends that we've got together mutually that we hang about with, but like other people we've worked with and that we know have often been like, oh, you're the quite introverted one and the shy one and I'm the quite extroverted, confident one. But I remember your mum telling me when you were in nursery, you know, like I think he's were playing a game or something and you were like, right, I want to be Ariel and I'm going to sing part of your world and everyone better sit down and watch, Right. And you did it, and obviously that's who you were growing up. But everyone obviously knows me very well, knows that I, at that age, was very introverted, didn't really like talking to people, was quite shy, liked to do arty-farty things and add quirky ideas. That typical Aquarius life, really, always being edgy. But I didn't have the confidence to be like that. So it's quite interesting that in adult life, we're now the polar opposites in a way, do you know what I mean? Like, you're the one that's like, what about this stone? People go, wow, that's really interesting. Whereas I'm like... But what about all these amazing things and let's talk about it and do a whole show about it? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Pretty much. And I'm in the corner like, cool, but ethical, <laughs> you know, ethical reports and like health and safety and oh, can yeah. he set fire to things like that and stop the... Yeah. <laughs> um, I would not, but honestly though, it's such a... It's a blessing, I think, really, that that was my childhood because as an adult... Um, I look back at myself as a, a, a kid and obviously you make allowances, you're a kid, so you go, oh, you're young, you're in. But I was, honestly, I was such a wee shit. My mum yeah. could tell you stories. I literally would be, literally, like you said, nursery four-year-old. Um, I stood up just in the middle of a chair, like on the chair one day, um, and the teacher was like, oh, Anna, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to sing part of your world. <laughs> I am Ariel. I've just got the Disney um, VHS, not the DVD, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and you can all listen. Um, and it was, it could have easily, I think, went into a very healthy, unhealthy, sorry, like, ego. Mm. It could have tr um, transformed into, like, a very kind of toxic personality almost. But my mum was very, all right, well, you have this energy, you have this talent, you enjoy these things. You go away for three hours on a Saturday morning and just run about in a hall with all these other bairns and get it all out that way. And adapt and, it, yeah. I just grow up a wee bit and you know like I'm still you know me well enough to know that like there are certain times that I am still that effervescent over the top person yeah but I'm very much a I can only be like that when all the bills are paid and I have a day yeah. off tomorrow so I don't have to go into work come over you know these things yeah totally um, it's just I think recognizing though but oh god like if I had me as a kid oh I'd be getting straight to my mum's about, you've got your grandmum's ceiling, actually. <laughs> it screams Rachel Berry, and, like, it's not, like, an insult when I say that, but, you know, I remember watching Miss Mojo doing the top. They did all the Zodiacs and the Glee stars, and me being, like... And what annoys me with the Miss Mojo videos, which everyone listening doesn't realise that I watch all these Miss Mojo videos, I'm obsessed. Even though I can't stand half of them, I do actually love them. Um, 
love-hate relationship, really, that when I sent you in a text and said, oh, like, here's um, the Glee ones. I never, you know me, me and Lucy, the pair of us, this person zodiacs this. But honestly, let's, like, watching it, and they're like, Rachel Berry is obviously a Leo, and started, like, saying why. And I was like, any fan that's watched this kens that her birthday in two different episodes is either in January or in December, and a Leo is in August, July into sort of August, like, come on. And that's the sort of stuff, but they obviously said that the natural qualities for Leo, which is why all my Leos actually are pals, majority of them, that confident, outspoken, dare to kind of question, very, Madonna's a Leo, do you know what I mean? Like, it makes sense. Um, and I've always naturally went towards people like that because they're the kind of people that I surround myself with that push me, and I love that. Um, right, so let's get into the questions. So, um, what first got you? Obviously, you've discussed, you know, always being a performer growing up, but what kind of made you decide to go and study at QMU and get out of Fife? I mean, a lot of people listening might not know this, but I know very well that, um, speaking to a lot of people, that Fife is... Um, it's lovely at points, but I think a lot of you seem to have this small town boy vibe that you want to get out of there. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Um, and it's no shade. It's no, you know, people, some people prefer a quiet life. Some people want just that. I go to my work, I get my kids to school. And that's equally as valid as somebody that wants to go to a new continent every night and party mm. in all these different places in the world. That's totally fine. For me personally, though, I just always kind of felt a bit suffocated. Mm. And I, you know, again, you know me well enough that you know that I really don't like cliqueiness and I don't like disingenuous <coughs> and I don't like fake people that say one thing and do another. I'd rather you just turn around and say, by the way, you're annoying as fuck. And I'd go, oh, why? I'm very sorry. I am. But, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll work on that, you know. I'm a nice person. I don't want to like actively annoy or upset anybody. Um, and my experience, especially as a teenager in a small town like that, was very, very cliquey. Everybody has to know your business. Everybody has to have an opinion about your business. And just, again, the whole aspect of everything literally shut down and closed at half four at night. Like, if you went to go shopping after school mm. you were literally like oh well run into the asda because the asda is open 24 hours you didn't get to go to like the mm. high street or there wasn't any like recreational centers there wasn't any um, i mean the only thing we really had was the under 16s night but even then there was still 12 year olds with fake ids in there right like that's how dire it was and there was nothing um so thank god there was a few like arts you know outlets like drama classes and mm -hmm. obviously at school when I went into high school that's when I really got into it um, I actually went to a different high school in my first year and it was such a weird it was all a mess my mum basically applied for <coughs> for Corrie High School KHS as we call it mm -hmm. um, and they were like oh no we're too full she can't come in so KHS was 10 minutes away from my house but I ended up going to another high school that was nearly an hour away Oh my god! Because my mum didn't, didn't drive, and I was the oldest, and she had all the other kids. I would walk on my own to oh. school, and it's fine. It's again, it's not a pity party. It's a, that's just what we had to do. No, so it's that. just stressful to go through that at a young age. I. Do you know what I mean? That responsibility, and like I remember at the end of my first year, being like, "Mum, I want to do drama, 
Mm. The music department's rubbish. The guy's half blind and can't even like read notes. Mm. Like I am not gonna do well at school because I'm not getting enrichment from the things that I like. Mm. So we got into KHS in second year. Thank um, God. And uh, thank God. Uh, and that's when it really took off. I started doing like the Shakespeare Skills Festivals. I just was so involved in the drama department. I did all the, like the school musicals. I was in the school choir. I used to go and like perform. There was a group especially in fifth and sixth year in the advanced higher and the higher music classes, the teacher would pick basically like the top performers and she'd be like, right, we're going to create like basically a mini band and we'll go to like the care homes and the rotary clubs and these little oh, sing and we'll sing at Christmas. And of course I was the singer and sometimes <laughs> I'd be in the back of my xylophone like, woo, yes. But whenever there was a song, it was like, Alana, you're going to sing it. So that again, it all just kind of started snowballing. And then the more opportunity came up when, you know, um, the youth theatre group started doing like musicals every year. It was, oh my god, I want to do Rent too. What's Rent even about? I don't know, but go and pay the 90 quid so I can do it. Yes. Turns out it was about a bunch of gays and lesbians living at the height of the AIDS crisis and they were all gay and shagging and stuff. And my mum was like, oh, you're you're 14. Maybe, um, maybe we should have looked at this first. And I'm like, yeah, but Jonathan Larson, though, bangers, <laughs> absolute bangers, mum, come on. So, yeah, by the time it came to uni, I was so sure. I was. I remember. You probably know this, but I remember the day the exam results came in. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for a conditional, and they were like, "Right, you have to get X, Y, and Z, whatever." Um, and I remember getting my school results, and one of my exams was just missing. <gasps> and they were like, "No oh award." And it was. I tell you what, it was. It was my advanced higher. I think like classical, like classics, classical, all the Romans uh-huh. and Greeks and all that. Yeah. And I was sitting there like, right, I'm raging. And mum's like, of course. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I am raging. No, because that um, like class at school, not to toot my own horn here, but I'd done really well. I was passing like all of the assessments, all of the nabs. My teacher even went, you might get one of the highest like marks in the exam for this. So like, wow. just be prepared. And it didn't turn up. And it turns out the SQA lost my exam. <gasps> so this is where it panic sets in. And I'm like, I want to go to uni, though. I'm never going to leave Fife. Oh, my God, strict. Mm-hmm. I got a rejection email for QM because it was on, like, an automatic thing. And they were like, oh, sorry, you didn't get it. I'm screaming. Like, You've been in tears, yeah. In tears. My mum then phones the school, and the school are like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll put you through to the department head. And she's like, right, so what happened is they lost your exam. They are going to reissue your exam results because what we've done is we've given them basically all your tests in mm. the year that you've done. Your prelim, et cetera, yeah. Pretty much. And she's like, the only unfortunate thing, though, is Alana. And I'm sitting there, like, still on the phone, not even really listening to her. And I'm like, whatever. Just say if I've got a uni or no, whatever. <laughs> um, and she's like, no, the unfortunate thing is, you would have been an A-star student. Right, okay. It would have okay. been your second A-star. And I was like, all right, yeah. And she's like, but the exam board won't give appeal cases that high of an am- a mark. No. So mm-hmm. you'll only get a B, but we've spoke to the uni and you are still going and they're going to reissue everything. Oh, thank so God. the four hours that it took to sort that, I was hyperventilating and I was like... Mm. And that's when it really kind of hit me that it was more than just a, oh, I want to go to uni and I want to, you know, whatever. It was 
and again, no shade to anybody, but it was, I need to leave this small town. I need to be somewhere where I can grow. I need mm. to be somewhere that gives me opportunity more than what I've already done. And mm-hmm. it's just something that I really want as well. And sometimes there doesn't need to be a reason other than you want to do it, so go and do it. Totally. And you know what? Like I say, it's like that small town boy vibe. But a lot of people listening might not. I mean, we've had a lot of young people listening that are sort of under the age of like 20, 18, that, you know, anyone that's got a very wide range of uh, queer music taste will know Bronski beats Small Town Boy and Anthem from the queer community. But people that were listening didn't know that is based a song about sort of living um, through the age of homophobia, which was horrible, and sort of a small town city and wanting to escape to the city. And you often see that, like anyone that's from the queer community does go through that experience of I don't fit in here and I want to be where everyone else is that I feel liberated and free and I love that university does that for people because you know for me I was really privileged and fortunate that you know I went to uni that it was in Musselburgh but it was only like 20 minutes away from my house if you drove do you know I mean I lived in Leith and it was in Musselburgh but it wasn't as much as they say it's a Musselburgh it is an Edinburgh uni do you know what I mean and I didn't get that experience from the small town city vibes. You know, Amy Lamore lived out in West Lothian, Lucy's from Falkirk, all these people. But I've had a lot of friends that are from these backgrounds where they didn't get to go and live that city life. And I just always know that, well, I was quite fortunate that, you know, I'm a city person. I always have been, I always will be. You know, I nearly, as you, a lot of the stuff I'm going to say, you're like, yeah, I know this. But <laughs> a lot of people listening would know that, you know, I was going to someone that wanted to move to London but to stay in like a fucking London country estate and I was like that's just not gonna happen like that's not yeah, me like, why would you waste that lifetime opportunity to go and live in London but boy that has to offer but you want to go and live in the, the suburbs like, cool. yeah it's like you know I often grew up wanting to be Jerry Hallowell and now I'm like oh no I want to be Mel B like I'm not Jerry Horner I'm Mel B or I'm Mel C I'm the outspoken loud one and uh, you get that um I'm not Jerry Hallowell, definitely. Um, so, <laughs> um, and you know what? Like, it's so interesting. So, you talk about obviously, like, growing up in Fife. What was it like? Because obviously, we're we're doing this episode for bi visibility. You know, we're obviously it's love having you. Could chat to you all day, practically every night. I chat to you for an hour before bed. But what you know was it like? Because we're doing bi visibility, which is such an important message. And I mentioned this the last couple of weeks. Each episode, what was it like growing up? from the queer umbrella and being bi um, in a small city like Fife, if you could just share your honest experiences. Honestly, it was so hard. Um, I don't think I quite realised at the time how hard it was. I was very, in ways I consider myself like lucky, because at the time of me first discovering my bisexuality and everything that came with that, Mm-hmm. I was in a heterosexual relationship mm-hmm. and my first boyfriend, you know, that first love thing, you're head over heels, don't really understand what a relationship is and how it functions, but you're like, I like you and you hold my hand, so that's enough. <laughs> um, and it was difficult. And, you know, we had all those kind of, they're almost seen as stereotypes now, but it's, you know, stereotypes stem from truth in some sense. It's just mm-hmm. an exaggerated truth that's been twisted to kind of, used to hurt people I would say but Mm -hmm. there was a girl that the typical girl when I describe this everybody's probably going to have a someone or an image that pops in their head but the typical lass that was a bit emo a bit kind of a social outcast 
she kind of was never really in school and when she was it was kind of she was always disrupting classes or causing mayhem and she left for a few months and then when she came back she came back and she was bi and she oh. suddenly was going out with another girl in the year and of course the school year didn't really like this lassie anyway so her just being out like that just made her a social pariah and right. it was always there's the bi lass and ha 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 and oh where's your girlfriend and blah 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 and Kids can be like so cruel. Like we've all experienced it. Whether folk want to say, you know, kids are nice or kids are not or whatever, but everybody in their lifetime in their teenage years experienced something that they thought, oh god, right, maybe not the best. And I remember like one specific thing when I was kind of in the middle of sorting my head through everything to do with. I might be bi, but I'm with a guy, so am I allowed to still be with him? Ah, right, okay. What does this mean? Am I a horrible person? And I remember, clear as day, we were walking down the, like, social sciences hall. Um, So they had English above, and then you had, like, social science kind of in the middle, and there was a weird tunnel thing you had to go down to go through both. Mm -hmm. So we went down the English stairs, and we were walking along social science towards maths, and I'm holding my boyfriend's hand. Peter Keen, nobody mm-hmm. cared, everybody knew we were going out, this is fine, we're mm-hmm. about 14, 15, um, and this lassie's walking the opposite way towards us, holding her girlfriend's hand, and the Ooh. teacher stopped her and her girlfriend, and was like, can't do that, that's inappropriate for school, stop that, and I was like, oh god, okay, so in the back of my head, I'm like, well that's, that's totally shan, oh my god, yeah, and then we walked past the teacher, and the teacher was actually one of my boyfriend's teachers. So they went, oh, hiya. And he was like, oh, hiya, Mr. So-and-so. Right, I'll see you later. Not a word. I'm literally still attached to him holding his hand. Mm. Not a word to, you know, the straight couple. Mm. You guys can keep walking, go to maths, have a nice day. I'll see you later. But this couple that was two girls, no, that's inappropriate. And it's something that is proper always kind of struck me and stuck with me because I was mm. like, that was the first instance of, this is so deep-rooted, and this is just normal life that even a teacher and an institution <coughs> for education that is telling people, don't bully, be nice to everybody, everybody's equal, and all this, blah, blah, blah. They're sitting, and they're literally picking out an LGTV couple and just saying, no, no, use it inappropriate, but the straight couple's fine. Mm. Um, and, it, yeah, it just kind of stemmed to that. I mean, there was a whole load of other issues why no one liked that last scene. Yeah. You know, but her bisexuality became such a focal point. And at a time where I was so scared of losing my relationship, mm. I didn't really care about popularity and friends. I had people that I was friends with. I was friends with popular people in like chemistry class and then friends with the non popular kids in like English. I did not care. I was that like, was like nice me, actually. I was the same. Yeah. Like, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. But the big fear I had was, oh my God, if I don't get this straight in my head, ironically, um, <laughs> and and I don't like communicate this to my boyfriend right now, mm. I'm going to lose him and then I'm going to be a social pariah and then no one's ever going to talk to me again and mm. I'm going to have to endure the horrific things and I know what's being said about this last year and that'll be said about me. Yeah. Um, and I'll give me to when I did kind of sort it all out and it, it, kinda, it all made sense and I sat him down and I was like, right, look, this doesn't necessarily mean anything's happened, but I feel the need to tell you because I want to be honest with you. But I think I'm bisexual. 
and he was like okay right how how do you know and I was like well when I first started fancying you and having feelings for you there were certain things I noticed there were certain feelings that I noticed Mm -hmm. and there is someone else in our year that is a girl that I am noticing the same behavior patterns with Mm. nothing's happened nothing is gonna happen because I love you and I want to be with you and it's more than just fancying you now but it threw me for a loop because I had a whole question of am I a horrible person for a having feelings for someone else when I was with someone but B, that person's a girl. And at right. 14, when you've never heard of that, that blew my mind. And I was living at the time with a rather kind of homophobic stepdad. Right. Like we'd mm. watched EastEnders storylines with Christian and... Um, Said. Aye, yeah. And it would be like, oh, look at the gay boys. Uh-huh. Mm. And he would sit in the living room with a lesbian. My sister's a lesbian. So with a lesbian daughter and a bisexual daughter. And we'd sit mm. there and go cool so there is no hope for like a nice family christmas then right oh, mm. God, yeah. um and i'll give him his due the the one thing he said he was like okay well if you kiss a woman it's cheating that's the only thing i'll say and i went oh no 100 percent. it doesn't matter who i kiss if it's not you that's bad and he went no i'm just saying if you kiss anyone it'll hurt me it doesn't matter if it's a, a man or a woman so please mm. just don't do that and i was like all right cool fine and that was it yeah, it's funny because obviously I knew I'd known him for years, and obviously I know you're sadly no longer together. But obviously I knew him from living with you, and I will give him credit where it's due. I guess that as much as we won't go too much detail, but as much as things are never great in any relationship, and um, very liberal minded, which is lovely, especially coming from somewhere like fucking Fife, that you know Edinburgh. As much as people in Edinburgh go, oh well, homophobia happens, transphobia, biphobia. Yeah, it does. But when you meet people. Like when my friend moved to England and lived in the Midlands and it was like really conservative and and fucking Tory um, central, you know, you don't maybe appreciate just sort of the levels, I guess, with um, how Edinburgh is such a liberal city. And I would say, like, I'm going to tell people something on this episode that will really surprise them and you don't know about this. Um, Because I've been sitting for the last week thinking, right, what do I want to talk about in this episode? That I've always had a guilt with the bisexual community. Because I remember when my friend, and I'm not going to disclose her name because she now doesn't identify as bisexual, but at the time she actually did. And I was really horrible to her and told her she was attention-seeking for coming out as bi. And people listening might go, what? Oh my God, Georgie, that's like... And I'm like, yeah, like I made a lot of mistakes growing up that you're allowed to obviously, I guess, make mistakes. It's about how you correct them and adapt and improve yourself. But I remember when she came out of school, there was such a fucking backlash of, like, she had said, you know, like, the lassies in the changing room were so uncomfortable around her getting changed. And she was like, just because I'm bi doesn't mean I fancy every lassie in this changing room. Which the queer community can get that when, you know, eventually when I came out, when I was in fifth year um, as bi, and then I did that whole bi into gay thing that we'll talk about in the next question. When I did that, you know, I'd... I was lucky that a lot of the guys in my year that I was friends with knew that I didn't fancy them and weren't judgmental. But there were a couple that I didn't know who were like, so does that mean you fancy me? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, um, do you fancy every last see me? And they were like, well, no. I went, well, there you go then. Do you know what I mean? But I, for years, felt guilty about that. And when I saw her years later in 2017 at a rave, I had said to her, I want to talk to you. She was like, what? And I was like, I am so sorry 
for how judgmental I was years ago when you did this because I'm now best friends with someone, and you weren't at the street, but I'm now best friends with someone who is bisexual, and I can't believe that I wasn't welcoming and supporting of that years ago. But I think a little part of me probably projected the fact that she had been so outspoken and I was jealous that I couldn't be comfortable in myself back then. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I wanted to share that because, you know, people make mistakes and they can still improve and better themselves. And that's why I was like, yes, we have to do a bi-visibility thing, especially yeah. the last couple of months, especially with the way things have been online. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And here's the next thing I want to talk about, obviously, is, you know, it must be a double-edged sword for the bisexual community, but I'd like you to talk about it because you're bisexual. And I came out as bisexual. This is back when I identified as a cis man, though. So, I mean, we're talking ages ago now, but I came out as bisexual because it was a stepping stone for me and then came out as gay because, you know, I date um, all kinds of men now and I'm queer, but, you know, back then I was like, oh, well, you know, I like kissing girls at house parties and stuff and it's fun. But I think I liked kissing them. And then when it got to actually having sex, I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I was like, but like, you know, and that was it. But, you know, I, I think when I went to LGBT youth and I volunteered for them for ages, you know, they were talking about the stepping stone. And I was like, is that not quite difficult for the bisexual community though? And they were like, yeah, it is because people obviously don't know what they are and they think they are this and this and it is a double-edged sword that it's great that people can realize who they are but unfortunately I feel like for your part of the community that must get difficult like do you get asked a lot like or oh, so are you on the layway to gay town as sex and city inappropriately once said or are you just can you not get a man and I'm, I'm not saying these things because I think that it's what people from that generation like that greedy that greedy oh, thing yeah. I mean would it's, you mind sharing your experiences of that of course um it's it's assumption and this is what it is mm -hmm. is on one hand yeah you get the whole oh you're a gay in denial oh. and then on the other hand you get oh well you have passing privilege and you oh. just exploit passing privilege to look straight but latch on to the queer community because you think it's edgy or it's cool and it's one of those things that it always kind of boggles my mind a bit and the one thing I always say when I try and explain to people sometimes the hardest bits about being bisexual, it's not necessarily the constant questioning from others. It is the constant questioning that you have from yourself. There is a lot of imposter syndrome that you get with this. Wow. There is a lot of, like, for example, obviously talking about this, arranging what day we were going to record this. I'm sitting in the shower like, okay, so we're going to do it on Tuesday, blah, 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 blah. And I, anybody that knows, I've got a massive pride tattoo on my upper arm. Love it. Absolutely love it. Paid the money for it. The tattooist was amazing. Shout out to Watermelon Tattoo on Easter Road. They're fabulous. Inclusive. We love them. Um, and I was looking in the mirror at it, and I just had a whole moment where I went, that's permanent. You've got that on your arm. What if you're not bi? Right. What, what if this isn't you? What if this is just something that you're... What if, what if you get married to a man and you think, oh, well, what if, what if you, you do go out well with men, but then you have an affair with a man and you, you oh, go down a right, spiral okay. of complete self-doubt and complete, you question everything about yourself. And it probably does stem from the fact that, yeah, typically as a community, we are constantly questioned anyway and we're constantly told, well, you're in the middle and you can't decide or you're going one way, you just don't know which way you get. And it's just about, no one's born with infinite knowledge. No mm -hmm. one is born with all the answers to everything. Like, even I, this year especially, I've done a lot 
because we had free time bisexual reading kind of reading about other interests that I have that maybe a year ago I wasn't doing because I was so focused on right well let's just go to work and then DJ at the end of the week do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean there's so many things now in my life that I know that I didn't know a year ago but the key point I always say to people is just talk about it you know, if I sit here on a podcast and say the imposter syndrome that you're having right now, other bisexual person or pansexual person listening, as valid. And when I go to bed some nights, I do question everybody I've been with and why we broke up and was it good and was I did I not fully commit to that woman because I'm actually scared of being a woman? Did I not fully commit to that man because I'm actually gay? And everything gets kind of microanalyzed in a way. Wow. And you're hardest on yourself you're your own worst critic and yeah. i think you're hardest on yourself especially when you try and be vocal and you try and be accepting and you try and be educational and you try and say right well i don't have all the answers but i'll talk about what i know and hopefully it will help and then you suddenly get the thought of i've spent two weeks on social media quote tweeting this and i've spent you know all these years act- being an activist for this organization and what if it's all a lie what if everybody finds out it's a lie and it's just anxiety and it is just self-doubt that we all get we all get it in every aspect i think it's just because like we said there is a double-edged sword with bisexuality that there is no real place within either side of communities whether that's a heteronormative community or the lgtb community Mm. that we don't necessarily feel like we have our own space yet that Mm. isn't under threat you know you still get people that will randomly put on twitter oh i was dating a man but then i found out he also sleeps with men so bend and it's like so true why it doesn't matter like the case we were talking about obviously last month about the man that he had um sexual experiences with men he got married to a woman he was married to this woman for ages he then divorced this woman 10 years after the fact of divorce, she finds out about these sexual relations with men, so she's been able to sue the man. And she won a court case, and she sued him because he didn't disclose that he'd had sex with men before. And I'm like, that had nothing, honestly, nothing to do with your relationship at the time. It had nothing to do with your marriage at the time. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with you and your anxiety. And a lot of it, I think, comes into people get so anxious and so wound up in their own relationships anyway. People spy on their partner's Instagrams. People will say to their best pals, you're yeah. on the Snapchat map. So I can imagine being told, right, well, you have to look out for every single person on the planet. Mm. It might drive some people a bit up the wall. But the thing is, that's just an assumption. Like you said, I do not fancy every single woman that I meet. Or every I man, do not yeah. fancy, exactly, I don't fancy every single man I meet. Right now, I'm not fancying anybody. I'm just done with the whole world. And I'm like, see you later. I'm in my house. Like, bye. But, you know, there is a lot of assumption. And the assumption comes from either side of the community surrounding the bisexual community. And there's not enough people listening to the bisexuals and the activists in the community that are saying, actually, this is what it's like. And this is what we actually need help with. Bisexual people are more likely to struggle with mental health issues than anybody. Yeah, totally. Bisexual men, especially, have it so hard, and their suicide rates are astronomical compared to anybody else. And it's not a contest. We are all in need of mental health help. We are all in need of people reaching out. But I think we're all in need of an equal share. 
you know, if I have a single plate at the table, it's not taking away from the gaze. You still have your five plates. Let me just have my wee one side plate, please. That's all I need. Totally. And you know what? Like, I hate this argument that so many people have that they say, oh, um, you know, like, like that fucking All Lives Matter crap with the two houses that are on fire and... It, it just, it baffles me, but it is so true that in the LGBT plus community that, unfortunately, the trans community and bisexual community to me have never received, one, enough appreciation for the fact that so many things like Stoma, for example, predominantly were comprised of bisexual people and trans people. Yep. Like, you know, there's always been, and anyone that knows me knows that I've got a huge thing about this, that there's always been this hierarchy of gay men, then lesbians, and then whatever's left over. I've always seen it that way and I hate it. And I think it's honestly, it needs a recheck. And people that obviously I'm close with know that, they agree. But people listening might go, what do you mean? And I'm like, think about how many things are run by gay men, then lesbians, and then the bisexual and the trans community get what's ever left over. Just think about that, because it's so true. It, it often makes me laugh at the fact that algorithm actually is LGBT, because when you look at it, who's actually left over? And I hate it. But to go back to this point, about um, these sort of assumptions. I remember like going out, one of my kind of main relationships was actually with a bisexual man. And the first thing he told me was he was bi because I said, oh, so have you ever like uh, slept with a girl? Because I was getting to know him. And he said, oh yeah, like I'm bi. And I'd went, all right. And being friends with you obviously helped. I think in my style knowing that years ago I was so judgmental that I went, well, no, don't be like that. But equally I dated so many. I've, I think on the hands I could count equally the amount of bi guys I've dated as well as gay guys. And I remember him being quite surprised that I was so accepting of it because he dated loads of women that went, oh, so is this just like a stepping stone to being gay? Or equally, he dated gay guys that went, oh, you're not really bi though, like you've not dated me. And, it, and that was a shame because I would go, do you know what? I'm going to hear him out because that must be hard. And I was very much like, yeah, like you're dating me. You know, I'm very much like, as long as you fancy me, I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> like, do you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah. And you're 100% right. It, it happens. Um, you find that bi men especially will either just for their own peace of mind be like, all right, I'm with you. That's all that matters. I, mm. Yeah. And they'll maybe disclose all the men they've been with, but not the women. Oh, mm. my door's gone. Hold on. That's a second. So as you were saying... Yeah, um, so I guys will they'll not disclose the women they've been with, um, and that's there's two very different issues from my view at least um, with the bisexual community and the way they are treated by other people in the community. Mainly, the women are put in this box that we're playthings for other people's sexual experience, and you know we can be the thirds or we can be the lesbian experience and you can fetishize us and oh my god I just love giving a straight married couple an orgasm for the first time in 25 years woohoo <laughs> um, and then you get the men that unfortunately have this whole stigma of well I don't want to be with a bi person mm, and it stems, it stems from this whole bigoted and backwards notion that bisexual people are dirty and bisexual men are dirty because at the height of the AIDS crisis, AIDS was only ever really seen as the gay disease. You know, at one point, I'm pretty sure there was an algorithm that included the word gay in it and it was marketed as, oh, if you're gay, you will get this disease. 
Mm. It wasn't just that this is a you know, life-destroying thing that can ruin the people you love. It's, oh, well, if you're gay, you'll get it, and it's your own fault because you're against God and you're gay and all this. And horrible, 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 horrible. Yeah. But when it started popping up in heterosexual women, they then mm. questioned it, and they were like, so why is this? And this whole argument and this whole debate and this whole bigoted kind of idea that bisexual people are dirty and we spread disease and we don't care and we don't go and get checks and we don't use protection, that all stemmed from that. And it's yeah. unfortunately been something that now has become, like we were saying, one of those stereotypes that at one point in time, yeah, there probably was a couple of you know fluid people who maybe were reckless and shagged about and spread disease. But, that I mean, happened. straight and people have been doing that for centuries. Exactly. It happens with anybody. It doesn't matter mm. what choices led you to the bed, hun. When you're at the bed, if you're not using protection, that is on you and the person you're with. Because, mm. you know, let's be real. We all have to be adults and be safe here. I will always say, growing up, actually, not to interrupt you, by the way, just growing up, actually, that the amount of straight friends I had that were straight women that often would get STIs. And I'd go oh, like, you know, why would you get an STI? Do you not use protection? And they'd say, and this probably is a whole conversation for another day, but they'd say, oh, you know, he doesn't like using a condom. And I'd go, right. But then I'd go, well, you've obviously got an STI from him then. And that was kind of the, that eye-opener was she'd go, oh, I've got an STI, I must be dirty, I've done something wrong. But I'd go, he didn't wear a condom. What did he give you? You know what I mean? And yeah. But back to your point. No, 100%. And it's, it is horrible, I think, in different ways. Obviously, as a mm. woman, I can see the kind of the subjugation that women go through with their bisexuality, and I go, oh, God, right, okay. But I look at stories from bisexual men that their partners find it and they leave them, or mm. their partners find it and they tell everybody, or... Oh, that's know, the horrible part, yeah. Honestly, they get girlfriends, and the girlfriends then find out, so the girlfriends tell everyone they're gay, and they ruin their whole social life, and they ruin their family, and they come, they, t- they out them in front of people, and it's horrible, and it all stems from insecurity on that person's part, and be mm-hmm. a really harmful assumption mm-hmm. and stereotype that bisexual people cause this and do this, and we're like the root yeah. of all evil, hun. No, no, there's a lot more in this world that are they're doing a lot more damage. Yeah, if we opened our eyes and maybe a wee bit more, we'd see it. But come I on, mean, hey. the fact that everything stems from white patriarchal cis men, I mean, like, they're straight usually. Like, I'm just saying, like, even in the LGBT plus community, it's always the issues I've always had with the queer community have never been with the trans community, the bisexual, even the lesbians. It's often been gay men that I've had issues with for several reasons. And I hate that hierarchy that I mentioned. But also... It's like you said, it's a societal expectation that I felt for him. But when I was going out with that bisexual guy, like, he wasn't not proud of me and his relationship. Like, you know, I was a DJ and an artist that he could rant and rave about to his friends that were aware he was bi. But in his field of work, and this is not a podcast about him quite clearly, but in his field of work, you know, if he had been openly bi to all his work colleagues, I think they would have just assumed he was gay. And... That must be a hard thing as much as me and him are no longer together and I wish him well. That must genuinely actually be a really fucking hard thing to get your head around. And it's the one thing that I will never, I think, be able to fully get people to understand. It's Mm. like I read an analogy the other week that was really good. It was like 
you're walking in the street and you've got long blonde hair and everyone you meet compliments your really short dark hair and you spend your whole day going, oh, well, actually, no, it's long and blonde, but thank you. Oh, well, actually, no, it's long and blonde. Yeah, I've modelled it after so-and-so. Or actually, mm -hmm. yeah, I spent all this money getting it done and getting these extensions put in. It's long and blonde. And you try and reiterate that point. And sometimes you get little, oh, your hair's so cute. I love that blonde colour. And little nice wee backhanded compliments. And sometimes you get a, oh, well, you obviously want to do that with your hair and blah, 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 blah. Why would you do that? I, I prefer my, you know, short ginger hair. Why have you done that with yours? Mm. And it that constant need to just validate yourself and no oh, one yeah. else has to do it. If you say you're, it sounds bad, but if you say you're gay and you have a coming out, there are people that have to come out multiple times in life, yeah, because social situations change, they themselves yep. change, yep. fair enough, fine, all valid. But if you put on Facebook or if you do a YouTube video or whatever and you say you're gay, everybody that watches that then goes, all right, they're gay, cool, registered that. I will have to spend the rest of my life, every time I meet someone new or every time someone new comes into the family or I get new friends or I get a new work colleague, I will constantly have to come out and say, oh, I'm bisexual. And then I'll get, so have you dated women then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've dated men and women. So have you slept with a woman then? Oh, Christ. Well, I'm not going to really disclose that because I'm quite, you know me, I'm quite a private person anyway. Yeah. Like, it's nice to be put on social media or on your Snapchat story, but fair enough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and you do get those follow-up questions, and it's not a case of ignorance. Some people are no. just genuinely like, I've never met a bisexual person. Oh, but when it comes from inside the community, and then you find people saying like, oh, well, I think that's about bi people, but like three of my friends are bi, but like they've never really dated anyone, so like I don't know. And it's like, well, maybe just <sighs> talk to them and ask them and stop. Or take their word for it. Yeah, like don't <laughs> use your own assumption no. and you know, your own biased knowledge to say this is the bisexual experience because, hun, if you're not bisexual or pansexual, you're not going to know what it's like. And there is nothing wrong. Like, I think this is something that needs to be said as well. There's nothing wrong with people that do use it as a stepping stone because it can be quite a liberating thing. Mm -hmm. And if you take that half step out and you, you, you come into a bisexual community and then you find the person you're meant to be with and then you're, you, you know, discover well, actually, I'm gay or actually, I'm lesbian. There's nothing wrong with that at all. No. And bisexual people do not have an issue with that. We've never had an issue with that. And that's something that, again, seems to be spouting on social media these days that, oh, well, you can't use it as a stepping stone. We want to have it all to ourselves. Everything. Oh, mm -hmm. No, 100%. The whole point of bisexuality is it's fluid. We understand water is fluid. If you put it in a glass, it's still fluid, babes. It'll still yeah. move about if you pick the glass up. Like. Oh, that's lovely. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with stepping stones if that gets you to who you're going to be. Just be open and honest about it and don't yeah. spread harmful misinformation. I also just think stop dictating someone's sexuality to them. We're in 2020. I honestly, I'm hoping that when we go, we're a month away from 2021. And, you know, I am very much in the pipeline for things. You know, if you... We'll talk more later about this, obviously. We've got a lot of questions to get through, but I'm excited to talk about. But, you know, if a bisexuality sort of visibility might happen, you know, I will do everything in my night to help promote it. Do the door. I'm not making it about my DJ sets. I'm not making it about me standing there being like, I'm a bi ally. No, this is about the bi community. I will just be there to help assist because I am showing that, you know, 
I saw an interesting tweet that has this since then been deleted, obviously, and it's good that people are seeing that, that someone had put a tweet saying, is it homophobic to say this about bi people? And the first thing that came to my mind was, well, no, it's biphobic because homosexuality is homophobia. And I, what did, but the first thing I did was message you and to other people I knew who that were bi and say, right, what do you feel about this? Because I'm not bi and I'm not going to go on Twitter and be like, well, I think this as a member of the queer community that's not bisexual, like, what the fuck? Like, and when we talk about this agenda and the societal expectations, I remember when I did my research and development with Imagine It and Birds of Paradise, many months ago now with Fauna Love and Sarah um, Forrester, you know, one of the things we talked about was that AIDS crisis and how the media had made this out to be a sort of gay agenda. And it is, we've still got a long way to go, but I'm very, you know me, I'm a very social political artist. You're very similar and a lot of us are actually. And I think 2021, we need to show our support for these important things. And that's why this episode's obviously happening. So we'll touch more briefly say briefly actually probably a lot of uh, conversation on the bisexuality and bi-visibility stuff but I'd like to just go back to you because obviously your whole identity is not just being a bi woman um so what was it like you know uh, people often go how did me and you meet because we talk as if we've known each other for like 25 years but we only kind of <laughs> got pally in 2015 properly we'd been at uni together for two years but we never crossed paths apart from that one show in first year we never um crossed paths at uni that much apart from the final year so what was it like doing a drama degree for you? And be honest, because obviously I've spoken on this podcast about how I didn't find my undergrad at points supportive, but not completely supportive. What was your experience like? Yeah, again, like I said, we're very similar people, very similar views and morals. So, yeah, when you were saying those similar things on the podcast, I totally echo them. I had probably my whole world was like shifted because of uni um I went into uni very sure of what I was going to do very sure of the person that I was going to be in a stable well what I thought was stable um relationship at the time um I was going to make all these things work I was going to do it I was going to get a job mm. and first year yeah things were in place I started running the drama society I was like I'm getting everything that I wanted to get okay right fab um, and then it all kind of just slowly fell apart around me. And I just kind of was like, okay, we can we can manage this. We can cope. Things happen. Life isn't like a straight line. It's fine. All good. Um, and then it got worse and I got really kind of ill. And I wasn't mentally well at all. I would go to classes that I cared about, like Shakespeare theatre of the world and ancient theatre and all these things I'd be like I want to go to that one because I love my shapes of pee <laughs> um, but everything else I was like nah I'm not going no motivation for it my relationship was falling apart I was kind of in a living situation that at the time I was thankful for but looking back now probably wasn't the best because there was a lot of issues in that house just between three individual women not hostile and not kind of um, aggravating or anything just we all had our own things going on that took the life out of us basically so when mm. three people that aren't properly at their best sit together in a room it kind of seeps in and you, you take on from each other yeah. so yeah in combination I kind of just fell off a bit of a cliff and I remember third year right I feel a bit more into myself I'm gonna try my hardest I'll get back into it 
and just every opportunity at uni I just felt like it was unjust and unfair when things were not back and we were told well we just didn't like this and I'd go but yeah. you sat in a lecture you sat in a lecture for 13 weeks and told us that theatre is this or theatre can be this or as long as you have a central point and you can portray that point it's fine mm-hmm. so we would question and say right well what didn't translate was it the, the message of the play was it the setting did we not get the kind of nuance right do we need to work on the acting do we need to work on the directorial style like what is it this is what we've got on our production sheet but like help us your mentor like we don't need the answer but just guide us and we'd get told yeah i just didn't like it and the unfortunate thing about the arts especially now as a graduate and watching a lot of my friends apply for jobs and get rejection from jobs and then watching the jobs kind of change the guidelines really mm-hmm. um it seems to be a running theme in the arts that people will limit their work and limit what they want to do and what they can do to fit in a certain criteria to either get money or to get um, a show or to get a space or to get whatever. Mm. It's competitive. Every industry is competitive. But in an educational institution, mm. when you have young, hopeful people, it is in no way the university's um, what's the word? It's not their job to make everything okay for students. It's not their job to tell us, okay, this is how it's going to be, but we'll hold your hand through it. Of course not. The whole point of university and higher education is you want to go into it. You have a, a zest for this. You want to learn it, so you're gonna you're gonna learn. Here's the tools and the mentorship, but go off and do the bulk of it yourself. I fully mm-hmm. believe that. What I really did not like about teaching that specific course in an academic sense was the sense of oh well we don't like you and your stuff and we won't tell you why but we don't like it but Mm. a gender bent a streetcar named desire that's fine Mm. and that's no shade to them that can be an amazing production that can Mm -hmm. be a fabulous production all on its own Mm. but when we specifically you know what i'm talking about but when we specifically were doing Midsummer Night's Dream. Aye, a club kid related, queer related version of Midsummer Night's Dream where it was all set in a club kid type moving club that we went into different places every night and we'd done things and at the start of it we wanted to actually go into a nightclub and that was a thing that we were looking at and then it was, well, can we go out here? And the uni kept saying, no, no, no. Ethic approval constantly, yeah. Honestly, and fair enough, fine, I get it. But when when it came to getting the feedback for that, it was... You didn't do anything inventive, you didn't do this, your production book says all this, but then there's nothing there, and we didn't like it, but you could swap Stella and Stan, or make Stella and Stan lesbians, and this is groundbreaking theatre. And again, Mm -hmm. nothing towards them, but I'm always the type of person that I have to have meaning in the work that I do. (laughs) Same. Do you know what I mean, though? There's a reason that Shakespeare is one of my favourite authors and I always read them and do you know what I mean there's a reason that Hamlet is my favorite play because mm-hmm. people know Hamlet so it's a bit dreary and I'm like it's literally about the human psyche and oh, motivations of people and how you can have this whole debate about did he actually go a bit mentally ill with grief or did he actually play this weird game mind game with everybody and yeah. you know ultimately it fucked it for everybody because they all end up dead that I love that. Spoiler love alert. <laughs> Sorry, it's 150 years old, but uh, um, the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not start that conversation though. Mufasa, my man. 
Kate and be emailing me complaining. Oh, I'm like, right. But do you know what I mean? Like, I I understood it and what it was trying to do. But for mm. me personally, as an artist, it didn't hit the mark. And then I had all my personal stuff going on. Like, I was basically drinking like every day. I was mm. going high shamefully every night because it Jealous. was cheap. Yeah, absolutely right. I could though. And I remember going to a class and the teacher being like, you haven't been here for like five weeks. Where have you been? And me being like, I've emailed you. I don't really want to sit in front of a room of mm. 20 and tell everyone, is that okay? All right, well, are you actually going to be here? Oh, and I just was like, oh, mate, this is so brutal. And like, yeah. the, weirdly, the one bit of advice I got was like right at the end from Kate, ironic. Um... And we were sitting in Page to Stage, which was a Shakespeare acting class, and we were doing this whole exercise with my director, and she was like, walk about like you're a complete snob, and walk about like you have contempt for everybody below you. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, and it was Coriolanus. Um, I can't remember the mum's name off the top of my head, but I was playing the mother, and if you know the play, you're like, well, she's very proud, and she's very like, yes, Coriolanus is my son, but she's almost like a, sh- a pageant mum, it's a show mum. She's like... Mm you all know that I'm his mother and like we are proud of where we are from but she she isn't a horrible mean person she just pushes her son too much and that's probably our worst mm-hmm. downfall she's mm-hmm. a, a show mum and she was like walk a bit like you hate everybody and Kate came in during this and Kate was like Alana you're really disconnected to this character right now what's going on and I'm sitting there like don't really want to throw my PR who's also my director under the bus but at the same time uh so I was like, oh, we were just trying an exercise. We're just seeing different variations inside. Mm-hmm. I don't really think she would be like this. I think she is very maternal and she does, she wants grand things and she wants everybody to look up to her, but she also realises the social niceties that have to happen if you want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Kate was like, you're so interesting because you know exactly what you're talking about. So why are you not doing it? Well, yeah. And she's like, see watching you act though. And I was like, aha. And she's like, your head is completely disconnected to the rest of your body. There is something going on with you and it's totally fine, but you don't, you're not getting this right now because you're not in this right now. So you need to go away and take whatever time you need to work all this out. And then when you come back to acting, you'll be better for it. And obviously wow. hearing that, if there ever had just been through, I was like, well, I've fucked it. Oh, I've yeah. Oh, my God. Self-doubt, self-anxiety, all of this. Yeah. But now after coming through the end of that whole process years later, I'd done my first read-through for something for Exposure Theatre Company in Edinburgh, and um, I totally got it. I, it clicked, and I went, Kate was right six years ago. Oh, my God, she nailed it. That's why she's a director, and she gets paid for that. She kens what she's talking about. I remember you coming in to uh, uni and telling me this, and I could see how distraught you are. And I remember you were kind of, I think, looking for me to go, oh, no, Hutton, why would she say that? Like, you're totally great. Like, blah, blah. But I remember turning and going, well, maybe she's right because you've had a lot, she doesn't know your circumstances, but I do. You've had a lot to fucking go through and maybe you do need a break from this. And I remember you kind of going, oh, okay. But you'd said to me, because I had worded it so differently and better, in the sense that she's a director, she's there to critique you on the acting, whereas I was being a friend going, well, you've had quite a hard fucking year. Maybe actually she's right that take some time to get to know yourself, realise who you are and come back to this when you're ready, which you've literally just nailed there saying that that's what you're ready to do now, despite mm-hmm. the pandemic. 
And it's funny because you talk about, do you know what? Like, I don't care. I know you're being very professional and then nice. I fucking hated that, like, last year uni. No, like, that's... I remember seeing everyone going in the third year because um, I was, at that time, working with a theatre company and being mentored by someone that had also went to KMU. And they had done the same as me that they didn't do their four years. And they were like, you're... And this is the only thing I think they were right about, actually, about me in my whole life, that they said, you're going to be like me. You're either going to stay for your four years because you'll you'll excel, you'll love this, the lecturer's going to love you, or you'll be too different for them and they'll not like it and you'll want to leave. And I went, all right, four months in, yeah, I'm not, like, doing this. Like, I'm not doing my honours year. Because I'd said to myself, well, you know what? Like, I'm not going to do my honours year because I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore. I have a zest for this. I love this and I'm good at this. But if I'm not going to get good grades, I might not be able to. Because in my head, I was like, oh, well, I'm not working professionally yet. Maybe I just won't do this. And I'd went, well, if I keep that sass, I can go into teaching. I can do high school teaching degree or a lecturing degree or even just like a primary school teaching degree at one point. So I was like, right, I'll keep that sass because I can't afford to pay to go back to uni. Um, and I remember there was maybe two lecturers, Kate being one of them, loved working with her, great lecturer, and Ksenia Horvat were the only two that supported me from day one who were like, you can do this but it's going to be a hard battle because you're going to have to find, fight a lot of battles and fear is like that. There's politics. And I remember being, okay. And I took a year after that to work in a primary school, debate going into primary teaching. But I was never, and I'm, I don't care if being the Sims now, I was never on their radar to get nope. work with the National Theatre of Scotland. Because nope. and Kate's, when I've years later worked with people who told me, oh yeah, Kate had mentioned she saw talent in me these two people but in that whole uni I wasn't they had their unfortunately like every university does they had their kind of they're going to do well and do this and that, that's fine because those people I envied at points because they could nail it and I couldn't I tried things that were too different the uni didn't like it. it it didn't get the grades I needed but I was never under the radar to get professional work I'm now doing projects behind the scenes that are a really professional standard and I often do think to myself like I've often said this and I remember said it to you once and you again years ago you were like oh you don't understand and I was like okay but then years later you were like no you were right actually and I'm like yeah kind of the the pattern here um, uh, was every conversation we have <laughs> <laughs> and I said to you like well do you know what uni wasn't exactly great but at least we got a friendship out of this this is what I'm happy with and you were like I didn't go to uni for three years to make friends and I was like okay but like oh. now you literally one of the only things I love is that we became really close because of that in final year because we wanted to do Shakespeare no one wanted to do it and yeah I think it was a toss-up between you and the Hamlet everyone uh, listening doesn't know this but my favorite Shakespeare play everyone thinks is Midsummer but my favorite is Macbeth because I'm obsessed with the idea that greed and um, jealousy and envy can ru ruin us all because we've got ego everyone's got super ego issues and I'm all about the Freudian, you know, everyone I've ever dated or worked with that I've never wanted to work with again, um, ego can unfortunately sometimes ruin them. Um, and I get, I mean, you watch crime fucking documentaries before bed, so of course you love Hamlet. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but no, but I am glad that we're now here doing this, because if we hadn't, like, in that final year, became so close, we wouldn't be doing this. So it is something nice. And that that's literally it. Like, I'll never say that I outwardly regret uni because, no. again, I've got you, I've got the girls that I'm friends with. I ran the drama society for three years. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of it, they literally gave me the Society Personality of the Year award. And I was like, art societies never win awards. What's yeah, going on? And everybody well was like, you've just done so much for us, though. 
And it was things like that that I took on, and obviously we went and lived together, and we're still friends. And even mm. at the beginning of last year, when we were both in that awkward kind of, it's awkward because we're moving out. How is it going to be when I move out? Will we still phone me? Will we still chat to me? But literally the week I moved out, you were like, I've brought pizza and I'm brew. Come on, let me in. Come on, mm-hmm. we're doing this. And I was like, oh, right, fabulous. Totally. And a month later, we're in lockdown, and we're sitting there like, well, this was like but you know what? I think that was good time. And I've said that to people that I think if we had maybe decided the week before the pandemic, we would have been like, fuck, we fucked it. Because dealing with living on your own a week into a pandemic would have been hellish. I had that four-week period. In fact, it was more than four weeks. It was about five, six weeks. That five, six-week period, I had to learn what I wanted to do and who I was and live on my own helped me for the pandemic because the pandemic was so shite. Um, so... Let's kind of go on to something a bit more interesting and fun. So, DJN, I am so fascinated for people to listen to this. So, obviously, before the pandemic, you were DJing regularly on Saturdays at Bunker, um, and you had done Glazed Man Out of the Streets several times. Um, What makes you passionate about DJN? I honestly just love the feeling that you get from music. I've said this from day one, whether it is musical theatre and you're sitting watching Lame is for the 800th time and you're greeting it, well, no, you, because you don't like it, but you know. <laughs> if it's me watching Lame is, apart from Hugh Jackman, no Hugh Jackman, if it's Alfie Bo, yeah. singing Bring Him Home, floods, babes, crying for I mean, me. I will say, when I heard you, I thought you just meant everyone listening, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. You love the uplifting musicals that have a lovely end and I'm sitting here like... I want to cry at company. <laughs> oh, literally. You're like, there, the pop opera. Yes, please. I'll take that in, please. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, whether it's musical theatre, which is kind of where the origins for my love of music started, or mm. whether it is a complete, dirty, like, camelback, deep house rave in the middle of, like, an abandoned warehouse at four in the morning. Love it, because music is a universal thing that even mm. if you don't speak the same language, you can have the same reaction to music. And, it's a very powerful thing. Most kind of rave music especially hits the hardest emotions. And you don't necessarily have a lot of lyrics. There's not a lot of thought to it. It's just all about taking that in and having that experience. Um, and when I started DJing and it was, okay, I'm in front of a crowd of people. There's like 100 people in this room right now. And I'm playing music. Oh, my God, they're all cheering, right? They love this right, they've never heard this, oh, but they like that. Okay, now I'll play this really old school, like I'll play bits and pieces or something and everybody will go mental. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Something that everybody knows that they're like, yes! It's a weird, euphoric feeling of like, oh, wow, but there's never any like hierarchy, there's never any bias, there's never any, I'm the DJ and you're the audience and you will listen. People will come up to you and say, I love that, here's a fiver, do you want a drink, can you play this, do you know this song, and I go, oh my god, I love that, and guys go, oh my god, you're so young, but you know who so-and-so is, and you, oh, you'll play Marshall Jefferson, oh my god, yes, and I'm like, eh, of course I will, let me put it right on right now, so it is that universal community spirit that I yeah. love the most, don't get me wrong, I love a good sesh, I love a good night out, when we're <laughs> able to go on a night out, oh, oh my thank god, you. Yeah. the pair of us, and they'll see us for like three weeks, we'll be like away, I'm pretty much, 
I am pretty much anticipating that for the first month of lockdown, I will be completely hungover the following month from being on it for four weeks. Like, do you know what I mean? Honestly, like like every night, like, yay, we're back. Totally. Um, But it is, it is that universal love and that universal thing that music can do. It's like like Madonna says, music brings the people together, makes people come together. Um, There's a reason she's an icon. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like, I think for me, like, one of the favourite nights that I ever worked with you was when me and you and Shell done the jury party at Cab Voltaire because we did obviously sort of Pride Week and we did the jury party and people listening won't know. I mean, the queer community, I love them. I'm part of it, I love it. But, you know, I loved Agent at CC's. One of my favourite places to DJ still when obviously we go back, love it. And... But, like, you know, you and Lucy especially get this. Shell gets this. Anyone, really, that DJs that wants to properly knows that, you know, the, the queer community is great, but, you know, you want to go to CC's. You go downstairs, you'll get housey stuff, bouncing stuff. But, you know, upstairs, you're wanting to hear Mariah Whitney and sing along, you know. And, unfortunately, we often do get that, that, you know, a lot of... It was like when Dua Lipa released Future Nostalgia at the club one, and me, you, and Lucy were pure loving it in our element when we were allowed to obviously like sit in the house together. We were I'll all sitting. Oh, it's stunning. But I remember talking to both of you that night about the backlash of all the people on Twitter turning on Black Madonna saying, you have ruined this album. And I thought, God, none of you have got taste like. But you do have that expectation that like why straight women on Hindus are like, well, you play Whitney, I want to dance with somebody. And I'm like, no. Like, it's know your night. And also, there's more to this than just... Like, people forget, the queer community especially forget, that the foundation of things that I feel loved on a summer, Giorgio Armadio, like, all these sort of things came from the house scene. Do you know what I mean? Didn't they come from, like, oh, yeah, Whitney did a ballad and everyone sung along? I love Whitney, obviously, but I thought to myself, like, they seem to just not anticipate where music's foundation comes from. And especially that Black Madonna stuff on Twitter was horrible. Oh, not Black Madonna, sorry. Sorry. That blessed Madonna stuff on Twitter, horrible. Oh no, 100%, and I 100% agree with that. Um, I've had many conversations with like you, Lucy, everybody really, about how music is something that is so universally kind of loved, but because of that, opinions of music are so held like fiercely, and people don't want to let go of those opinions, and that is totally valid and fine. Um, but I think when you disregard the history of music and the, the you know the mainly let's be real the house music and genre in general was created by people of color and black artists mm. it was it a lot of the things that are now current or we're finding are current these days they stem from that and it, it bleeds into mainstream media because you get white artists that take it up and you know there is nothing wrong with paying homage and respect and you know there's nothing wrong with us two as two white people going to raves, playing that type of music, engaging with that type of music. But knowing your privilege. Yeah, we know the history of it, and we're not going to sit here and say, all right, well, we redefined the Chicago house scene. (laughs) Absolutely not, no. The New York underground scene, and, you know, the Berlin underground scene is this, because, Mm -hmm. no, absolutely not. And there is space for everybody if, again, it's just stop the assumptions, have equal share. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you're good at it and you have passion for it and you're a decent person that's going to work, then why the fuck not? Totally. So, 
what are your plans once the pandemic settles? You know, once hopefully nightlife returns, the world returns, stages open again. You know, what's your plans project-wise? Oh, so many, so many plans. I've spent so many years like with no plans at all apart from get up and go work. So mm -hmm. now the fact I've got plans, I'm like, oh my God, life. Yeah. Um, so I fully, and this is something that again, I keep talking to you about because you've ran nights before and you kind of know how to work it a bit more than I do. I fully want to do an informational, educational club night for, you know, fluidly, sexual and fluid relationship people whether it's just bi people or pan people or whether it's mm. just an amalgamation of both or everything in the middle there's one thing that I think it's the right time for it because it's needed so much just because bi and pan people need a space need somewhere that they can go and meet other bi and pan people they can talk about the experiences somewhere that bi and pan artists can you know get up and read their poetry or get up and sing their song or get up and do their drag acts whatever Love they want to do that's lovely so i'm fully just every night sitting down and being like well what if we did this and what kind of pie in the sky like you at the beginning um so you'll probably be the one to pull me back down and go right well this is what you can do to start with and this is how we grow it so in a year's time yeah. um and yeah it'll hopefully be a thing that you know it'll just bring a section of the community together and it's all you know it's open for anybody so gay people can come lesbians can come trans mm -hmm. people can come just sit and listen and this is what we're talking about you're never going to learn about this information you're never going to learn about these experiences if no one is willing to stand up and talk about them mm -hmm. so if we create a space by people will actively stand up and say right well hi i'm bisexual this is my experience this is what i went through mm -hmm. gay people can come and listen to that lesbians can come and listen to that and then there is nothing wrong with you know future and like you know down the line saying right well this this time we're gonna do we're gonna hand it over to our trans brothers and sisters and they can do something with it because we mm -hmm. are now an established space and we are known for creating that space mm -hmm. so we want to help and it's not just about taking over and being all oh bisexual yeah okay let's we're on this together and let's all help each other mm -hmm. but yeah primarily the main focus will be a bi night ran by bisexual people promoted by bisexual people DJed by bisexual people probably me lol but you know just something there that at least in edinburgh mm -hmm. has a, a big market because a foundation research, yeah yeah there's things there's things going on obviously lgtb youth do things and the bi uk network do things but and you know by beyond do things but a lot of bi people don't know this and a lot mm -hmm. of bi people uh, yeah you know i mean they don't want to go and sit in a hall and be like cool let's listen to the same story eight times over yeah they mm -hmm. want to have fun and they want to do something and you know Sounds bad, but how many fucking traffic light parties do we have a year? Oh, yeah. Are on? Do you know what I mean? If we can have 18 traffic light parties a year, we're going to have one bisexual night a month. Like, that's... Oh, totally. Yeah. And I would just say as well, obviously, bisexuality is obviously inclusive of all genders. You know, trans people are bi as well. Um, so it's, oh, yeah. it's good to know that you'll put a night on where cis and trans people that are all bisexual will hopefully come together and do this. And that will hopefully give more inclusivity if you find a good space to then have a night run by only the trans community to educate on trans issues. But obviously a lot of these things, you know, anyone listening to this might go, oh yeah, you know, I want to go to that and learn about this from the trans community. That's all great, but there's nothing wrong with you going away and doing your own research. 
like, you know, buy people don't need to justify everything to you and inform you and everything. Go away and do your research. Is there any, I know you love reading, is there any sort of bisexual um, books that you could suggest people to like sort of go into their history? So the first thing and probably the, the main thing that I would say, not as a necessity, but I just think to recognise the history and recognise everything that has come before would be reading the Bisexual Manifesto by okay. 1990, which can sometimes be seen as quite a controversial document because, again, it was written in 1990. Mm-hmm. It was written kind of in the aftermath, again, of the AIDS crisis. It was written in the 90s and the early 90s where there was still a lot going on and we were still working a lot out. But it was the first kind of fully publicised, fully kind of realised document that was like, well, this is for bisexuals and it's written by bisexuals. Mm. You know, all of this. Um, and if you're looking for stuff more current, I would strongly suggest the Bible series, spelt B-I hyphen B-L-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two volumes, so you get volume one and then you get volume two, which is New Testimonials. Wow. Um, and it's essentially just a series of essays, again, written by bi and pan people. Mm-hmm. And it's just talking about their experiences, whether it's their coming out experience, whether it's when they got married, whether it's, you know, the first time they had sex with someone of the same gender, like, or realizing, you know, oh, mm-hmm. well, I'm in this relationship and, oh, but I want to be in that relationship. You know, there's mm. a whole stories. And it's just a nice little kind of con- consolidation of, like, whenever self-doubt and that kind of imposter syndrome creeps up on me, I go and read a chapter. Good. Because mm. I sit down and go, everything that this person is talking about right now and everything they are struggling with, they have done. And now they're in a book talking about it. So if you're publishing yourself in a book as bisexual, pretty sure you're sure about your bisexuality. So it is a kind of comforting thing that I go, right, um, there are other people it is valid. It is a shared experience, really. Um, but you get, again, loads. There's um, bisexual kind of activists on Twitter, um, mainly Nintendo Mad 88. He is an Indian bisexual man. Who, I follow him, again, yeah. Yeah, love him. But mm. he's, oh, he's, his whole thing is, like, he grew up in a conservative England, uh, uh, Indian household and his dad and his mum and all of this, but he's yeah. bi. And he's open about it and he's like, yep, yeah, who cares? Um, the Bi Survivors Network, they're amazing. Um, we Are amazing. Biscuit, they are amazing. Wow. Um, Mike MGTV, if you're a YouTuber like me, oh, Mike <laughs> is hilarious. He's actually really, like, don't watch it with parents in the room. So if you're a bit younger, maybe not, maybe wait. But um, yeah. he's hilarious and he is unapologetically, like, he will constantly, because he comes across and he looks like toxic gay masculine man, but he will turn around and be like, Hun, I can make a woman come faster than you can. Shut the fuck up. Like, oh I am God. bisexual. <laughs> and, like, he's so, like, oh, I love him. He's just amazing. That's brilliant. And, and yeah, just your bi friends. Follow your bi friends. Listen to your bi friends. Whenever mm. they're having a bit of a rant on Instagram or something, go and read about it. Go and talk to them about it. Mm. Just have that conversation so they don't feel, like, so alone in this kind of fight. But also, you then just feel like, oh, okay, I, I've learned a little bit today and that makes me feel better because who doesn't yeah. love knowledge? Where pe- where can people find you, Lana, like on social media? Uh, oh, God. So it's either Alana Watson, all one word, A-L-A-N-N-A-H, um, or if you just search Lana Lou, because half of my Instagram is like Lana Lou, half of right. my Twitter is Lana Watson. So 
Either Hi. variant of the thing you'll find me. I've got purple hair, so you know I'm easy to notice. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna—I won't lie to you, Lana. Like we're gonna have to round off because I, I set myself a wee target that I don't go above a certain time, and I'm pretty sure we'll have a long discussion later on the phone about this tonight, tomorrow, <laughs> the rest of my life. Um, but I think this is the kind of good point to end that, um, and I'll add more info on the thing if you've, there's anything you've missed. Um, before we kind of round off, um, if you were to, you know, speak to any young students that are bi or they're maybe coming to terms with bisexuality or even um, older people in their 30s, fucking 40s that are coming as bisexual, what kind of um, words of wisdom would you part with them? Just um, don't be scared. As, mm-hmm. you know, hard as that can sometimes be, it's a big scary thing. Yeah. Just have faith in yourself. The people that love you and that support you will still love you and support you. And they probably already know. And mm. the people that don't love and support you, do you know what? Fine. Cut them loose. You know? And they'll be replaced by people that do love and support you. It's mm. difficult and it's hard and it's scary. And just because you come out and you're sure doesn't stop it being difficult and hard and scary. But once you realise that and you go, well, do you know what? It's hard, but this is who I am and I love myself you're going to be infinitely better for it. And again, I don't even care. I'm the most open person. You're a wee bi student sitting in QM thinking, oh, hon, I relate to everything you've said. Just DM me on Instagram. It's totally fine. We'll go for coffee and rant about it. We hate the world together. It's all good. Every episode, uh, finish the episode with a quote that will inspire people and maybe give a bit of insight into you, although you've given enough insight, I'm sure. Which I love you for, (laughs) never too much. Um, What quote have you brought with us, brought to share? You're not going to be surprised at all. I'm just going to say it. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow us the night the day that thou canst not then be false to any man, which, as famous as it is, rings true nearly 500 years later. Just be yourselves, babe. There's no one else on the planet like you. You know, your single DNA cells that had to come together to make you, that is amazing. A marvel of science, so just be yourself, whatever that is. And for people listening, what is that quote from? Oh, it's from Hamlet, babes. (laughs) Of course. It's from Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3, said by Polonius when he's giving his son a wee lecture. Sorry, I'll shut up now. (laughs) I would not expect any less from you darling thank you so much for joining me this has been amazing i look forward to seeing what you do for the next god knows how long we're in this world for lots of love to you love you too thank you so much lana watson love that lassie love that lassie so funny. I'm not even going to try and recap the episode because Lana nailed everything when it came to the bisexuality and the bi-visibility in the community. I hope everyone listening really um, enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. And all I can say about Alana Watson is that sometimes you meet people at the right time in your life. I remember a guy that I really fancy once said to me, he thought I was an angel. It's like, what are you on about an angel? But people that are sent here to take care of people, 
be empathetic, help people. And that's what Alana is. She was my angel. Join me on Wednesday talking to Gary Roman Quizman and Friday where I'll be interviewing a BBC social starlet and journalist. It's going to be an interesting week of free episodes. But we're going to cram some in for Christmas and I'll take my two weeks off. Until then, take care and remember to breathe. I've been playing. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists.